Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast with your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 48 of the Brexit Free Zone, that is the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Brexit Free. Oh, well, aren't we just sick and tired of it? I mean, we're not going to get political, but we are just absolutely sick to the back teeth of Brexit, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, well, I had my back teeth pulled, one of them were my wisdom teeth. Maybe that's why I'm such an idiot on here. What have we got today? Well, we have joining us on the show today an author who we've had the pleasure of speaking to before. She's the author of The Ghost of Marston Vale and The Almanac of British Ghosts that we spoke about on the last show. Today we'll be discussing a new book, The Roadmap of British Ghosts. She's always good fun, actually, and I'm sure whether you're living in the UK or whether you're living anywhere else in the world, the stories that she recounts could actually be happening anywhere. Please give a weird, wacky, wonderful welcome to Ruth Roper Wild. Hi, Ruth. Hi there. Hi, everyone. Very excited to be talking to you guys again. Yeah, yeah, we had a good show last time. Anyone who hasn't listened to that one, go back and have a listen to that one. That will give you a really good introduction into Ruth and some of her work. Yes, yeah, so we did. We covered both books last time. And then when we spoke before, I was just starting the research for this current one that I've just published, which is The Roadmap of British Ghosts. Plenty of ghost stories out there now. Yeah, so you actually go around the UK looking at some of the stories that have occurred and some of the witness testimonies that you've got in there. And predominantly, it's called The Roadmap of British Ghosts because it is covering things that have happened on the highways and byways around the UK. Yeah, absolutely. That was the, that was the main premise for book number three. I mean, it's difficult when you start researching about, you know, ghosts or the supernatural. One of the things you find very quickly is what an astonishing wealth of material there is out there. And when you start talking to people, how many people have had experiences themselves. And when you start gathering those together, the difficult actually, believe it or not, is deciding on a theme or how to whittle it down into something that would make a sensible collection for a book. Because quite honestly, you could just ramble on for days <laughs> and make an absolutely massive book. So it's picking out a theme as uh, for each book, really. So the Roadmap of British Ghosts was very much about ghosts that we see, you know, whilst out driving or walking, not associated with the building, but out in lanes or on the roads or even on the motorways or in the fields beside the roads, that sort of thing. And I, I got a lot of witness testimony to put in it. You even got mine in there. I even got yours in there. And <laughs> Sadly, I wasn't able to find anybody else who'd seen a ghost along that road. I did ask, I did try to find some, because that's a lot of the premise of my research, is I start with an original story, and then I try and find if somebody else has had an experience in the same area or in the same place, because that whole concept absolutely fascinates me, that different people will experience something in the same place, same area, sometimes decades apart. And to me, that just holds such a fascination that there's something about that area that is causing things to happen. And we found out about this last time you were on the show as well. For those people that haven't listened to it yet, and as I said, recommend you go back and listen to that, you've actually got a background in investigation anyway. So the way that you approach 
the investigation is actually in quite a methodical manner anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I've spent most of my career either as a fraud investigator or an investigator for bullying, harassment and discrimination. So I can't help but take that same rational, take a fact and look for the corroboration, you know, or take a premise and look for the corroboration for it. And I take the same approach when interviewing witnesses or when looking for the information. I try not to influence the witnesses. So I use social media a lot to get hold of, you know, people to to get out there and, and reach people. And I try not to put in what the ghost is I'm looking for, just the area I'm looking at. Mm. And that way I get some absolutely fascinating accounts back and not necessarily of the same type of, you know, apparition or whatever that was supposed to be along that bit of road. But what amazes me is that you get bits of road where lots of people encounter things and there's some similarity to the tale, but not necessarily the same thing. And in some particular cases, something completely different. So it, it makes you wonder whether... Is there just a phenomena happening along that stretch of road and people are picking it up or experiencing it in a different way because of something in the psyche of the person actually experiencing it? You know, is that part of the theory of witnesses will see things in a different way? Or is it actually that there are lots of different things happening along a road and it wouldn't matter who was driving along, but they would see something different? But it's all about how active is a particular road. And I've set the book out county by county with the idea being that I'm really hoping all you ghost hunters out there will pick it up and go and look along these roads for me. Take your cameras, take your equipment, see if you can capture anything along the roads that I've picked out as particularly active. Yeah, definitely. So the first story in your book involves Dick Turpin. (laughs) Bless him. He's a ghost that gets everywhere, isn't he? (laughs) Well, can you tell our listeners a bit about this story? Well, Dick Turpin, I'm sure you all know, is, is a, was a highwayman, a very, very probably our most famous highwayman. And he actually, ghost stories about him abound all over the countryside, you know, from, from London right up to the north, simply because he did tend to apparently cover most of the A1 and surrounding roads. But the first account in the book is actually based not really very close to that location but it's over here in Bedfordshire near Aspley Guys and there's a a particular building in Aspley Guys where legend has it that he used to hide out because he managed to dig up some dirt on the holder or the owner of the building right so he was able to use their building to hold out uh, to hide out in and as a result his ghost is supposedly seen around here quite a lot or heard so you hear his horse you know his, his footsteps and what have you and this particular one was gypsy lane was the original story and it's it just tended to to put to dick turpin but honestly when you look into it i'm more inclined to think that actually the spirit is is probably not related to Dick Turpin, but it's it's one of those cases where over time urban myth accounts something ghostly to a famous character mm. because that kind of makes it more newsworthy, if you like. Yeah. Because uh, apart from the possible relation to to Weathercock House in in Aspley guys, th- there's no real reason why it should be particularly Dick Turpin, and certainly with the people that came forward, you know, when I asked about that particular haunting. None of them had actually seen anything that you would account as a highwayman on a horse. So again, that comes back to my idea of our place is haunted and our people just experiencing different things. And then urban myth kind of takes over from there as the story gets out. One of the things I just kind of thought of while you were talking is that I wonder if, you know, the energy that is 
whatever that is that makes up a ghost or a spirit or whatever, I wonder if they can almost change what they look like or what they're doing according to the person that's seeing them, where there may be slight similarities, but maybe it's different because there's a way to recognize what the person experiencing it, you know, it's going to trigger certain things within them. Well, I often wonder whether it's either the the entity or the phenomena or, or however you want to describe it, whether it's that that's changing or yeah. is it the perception of the witness that is different? So are they seeing something that their mind is slotting into something that has a meaning to them? Because uh, they're seeing something in front of them they have no explanation for, so they have no reference to. Yeah. So their mind jumps to something that they can think of a reference for. Subconsciously, I mean, I don't mean this is a, you know, front of the mind yeah. process. I mean, you know, something happens in front of them and immediately the subconscious frantically searches for something to relate that to. And it picks out the nearest thing it can. Well, I suppose that makes a little bit more sense than what I was trying to say, where the entity would change that would almost have to be that the entity is thinking and well is thinking and is also knows you or is able to read you in such a way that it's then able to project itself in a way that you would understand but i suppose ruth it's a lot like the criminal world isn't it that if you are investigating a crime it could have happened in front of 50 people and you'll probably get 50 different accounts of what actually occurred during that incident. Absolutely. And, you know, there was actually quite a, a good example of that on the popular television programme QI. Yes. And they, they ran a sequence one night when Stephen Fry was still hosting it where he was chatting away and he held up a fistful of dollars and somebody ran onto the stage and snatched it and ran off. You know, it was pre-staged, obviously, but yeah. it looked like there'd been a, a theft for a moment and, and everybody was a bit surprised. And then they put a lineup of people up and said, right, which one was it? And they were quite similar looking, but had, you know, distinctive differences. One was wearing a red top, whatever. One was wearing a hat, one wasn't and so on. And everybody had a slightly different idea as to what they'd seen. Really? Yeah. And, you know, despite the fact that it had happened only moments before, they were then shown the lineup. Even then, the panel members, you know, on, on the QI panel, couldn't agree on what they'd just seen. And I've always had a theory that, you know, if, if you put people in a room and a paranormal phenomena happens, people will interpret it differently. They'll see it differently. I definitely think an element of that, and especially from my investigative background, is that people will rationalise something according to their own beliefs. But I also think there's an element of, I think the phenomena do sometimes change. So I think there is a certain element of what Bella was saying, that is it something about the phenomena? And certainly, you know, some of the accounts that I found when researching Roadmap of British Ghosts, it's clear that there are certain stretches that are really active. But maybe different all things. All sorts of different things. Yeah. <laughs> so possibly decades apart or, or stretching over decades so it's not even a case of different people are, are interpreting it different it's it, there seems to be different things happening and that makes me wonder well is there something about when a phenomena happens it manifests in a different way well when I was growing up there was this stretch of road and for the life of me I can't remember what it was called but it was really a dark dark area there it was very twisty this road and apparently there had been a lot of accidents going around this particular bend when you were a kid yeah i mean so it's it horse was... and carriage accidents in oh yeah i'm gonna oh, run you over I, get... I know right <laughs> this is what i gotta live with y'all it ain't even right but anyway <laughs> so people would you know there'd be all these different accidents 
And there was all sorts of, you know, stories. Well, I saw this and well, I saw that. And everybody, they would swear that's what they saw. They weren't lying, you know, whatever they had to say to to sort of get people to believe them. But a lot of the things were different. And obviously that's probably an area right there where lots of people died. So kind of what you're saying where it would be different things that people would see because there was lots of different accidents so potentially they're seeing a ghost from a different accident to the person who saw a ghost yesterday yep right i got you well that's quite interesting because one of the stories in the book has that whole sort of circular which came first the ghost or the accident yeah there's that as well (laughs) yeah this was down in cornwall near a place called quintrell downs i'm not, not sure i'm pronouncing that right but so sorry to cornwall if i'm pronouncing it wrong the original source story that i found and that i had written out asking for you know anybody's experience of was about a couple who were caught in heavy traffic so they were sort of crawling along in a stop start sort of a motion on the a3058 and this was back in early 2001 and they were really bored obviously because they're stuck in traffic and they watched a middle-aged man carrying something in his hands crossing the roads between the lines of cars ahead of them so he's sort of weaving in and out of the slow moving traffic and they were able to see him, you know, clearly enough that they could say he was wearing dark trousers, a pullover and was carrying something. And they just idly watched this chap, didn't really think much of it until as he reached the opposite curb, as he crossed the road and went to step up to the curb, the figure just disappeared. Oh, wow. At which point, obviously, they realised they would just been watching something completely paranormal. So I had written out asking if anybody else had had any strange experiences along that piece of road. And somebody wrote in to say, well, not actually there, but very close to there, about 12 years ago on the A392, where it crosses the A3058 at Quintrell Downs. At about half past 11 at night, he was driving from Newquay towards Quintrell, and he'd got a friend of his in the car with him, a female, and she was sitting in the passenger seat. As they came up to the turn-off for one of the local farms, they saw a man walking down the middle of the road, heading towards them, wearing a black suit and a pale coloured shirt. And it made him think of tuxedo or formal evening wear, that kind of dress. Mm-hmm. And the only thing he really noticed about him, that he had a really pale face, quite an narrow bit of road. So as they approached and went past him, he, he slowed the car right down for you know safety reasons, but was feeling quite annoyed that this guy was being stupid enough to walk down the middle of the road in the middle of the night. <laughs> but as they passed him, he glanced in his mirror only to realise the man had disappeared. So the girl in the car, his passenger, started sort of shouting in a bit of a panicky voice, oh my God, did you see that? There was a guy and now there isn't. And he told her to quieten down because he was trying not to panic himself because he was driving. So they went on their journey, which was towards St. Column Minor, and then headed back towards Trilogan, towards Newquay, to pick up his girlfriend from her workplace. She worked at a pub. So they picked the girlfriend up at midnight and they both explained what they'd just encountered, this chap walking down the road that they thought it might have just seen a ghost. Well, the girlfriend was a lot more sceptical about the whole idea and said she thought it might just have been a drunk wandering down the road, perhaps trying to find his way back to the holiday park. Mm-hmm. So they decided to drive back and see if they could see him anywhere. So they drove back to the area but found themselves completely unable to get to the same spot because in the intervening hour or so, well, probably less than an hour since they'd seen him, there'd been an accident along that road and the, and the road was shut and they couldn't get through because two vehicles had collided head on. Mm. And although they sort of did stop and try to ask one of the bystanders whether they'd seen this man at all, you know, had seen this man walking by, they didn't really have any answer. They didn't know they hadn't seen anything. 
And a few weeks after the incident, the passenger, the, the girl who'd been the passenger, she worked in a local shop, was chatting to one of her customers and was told there had been a death some years ago when a young man returning from a party was killed on the train track near there, trying to cross the train track. It makes you wonder now whether they was it his ghost that they saw and did the cars, you know, was he somehow involved in the crash that happened just shortly after mm. along the same road? Or has he become some kind of harbinger, you know, of accidents about to happen because he was killed in an accident? But it seems a bit circular, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. It does. It's that whole chicken and egg thing, like you said. And it just, it's that kind of absolutely fascinating that they should have seen something and then just so shortly after there'd be a crash on the same road. So we'll never know, will we? <laughs> That's part of the fascination of writing about this. We will never know. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, everybody likes a good ghost story, don't they? It doesn't matter. Doesn't seem like, I mean, kids, you know, once they hit kind of like teenage, everybody wants to hear that ghost story or yeah. whatever. It's, it's, it's a just, bit of an adrenaline thing as it well, is. isn't it? Very strange. There's some accounts in your book about scary hitchhikers. Can you talk about that? Do you know, my sister helped me with the proofreading of this one. <laughs> she regularly sends me pleas saying, will you please stop finding accounts of people getting into people's cars? <laughs> <laughs> She's a nurse and she has to drive some very dark, lonely country lanes at very odd hours of the night and morning when she's finished a late shift. And if she spent part of that day proofreading for one of my books and then has to drive home. Mm. <laughs> she's quite convinced that one day I'm going to find a ghost down one of her routes home and then I think she'll never, ever speak to me again. <laughs> um, yeah, there seems to be quite an element of ghosts that will either walk through a car as it's driving or hitchhikers, as you say, that appear perfectly normal and then people will stop and pick them up carry on down the road a bit and then turn to speak to the person and, and they're completely gone i mean the most famous of those or certainly that i've come across anyway is certainly a, a, the one in stanbridge that's a, an old story going back probably 20 30 years something like that and it was covered in you know the local news at the time and it was covered on a couple of tv programs at the time and that's in station road where it crosses pedders lane and the story was uh, 1979 it was actually i'm just looking at it now the story was that a van driver picked up a young chap one evening in his van asked him where he wanted to go the chap didn't answer just sort of nodded ahead the driver looked back ahead as he pulled out onto the road properly got going glanced across to his quiet passenger to offer him a cigarette and the man had completely vanished i did have a lot of people respond to that one to say they'd also heard the story it was very very well known in the area and they did actually have a couple of other different versions of it. And it does make me wonder, because I found quite a few other hitchhikers around the country, ghostly hitchhikers, it does make me wonder whether a lot of those have an urban myth element to them. Because yeah. there's, there seems to be quite a few where you have the story of the hitchhiker that's picked up and they ask to be dropped off at a certain location. And when the person gets to the location, they turn to let the person out of the car or whatever, and the person's completely disappeared. And they later find out that somebody had been killed you know of matching the description of their hitchhiker whilst on their way home to that location and you know there's various iterations of that one yeah see me if i was driving and i stopped to pick up a hitchhiker which like number one i would never do but you know hypothetically if i did and they got in my car and didn't eat, at least say hi and just like you know nodded their head to say which direction they want to go and i'd be like get out and walk <laughs> 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 Absolutely. Yeah. But, but there is a, there are a couple of occasions where it's not that even that the car stopped to pick up a hitchhiker. You know, I had one account of a lady who simply became aware that a presence had entered her car. Oh, 
No, thank and you. And just sort of <laughs> stayed in the car for a few miles and then left again. And she said if she looked straight ahead driving, you know, in her peripheral vision, she could see there was somebody sitting in the passenger seat. But if she turned ahead at all to look properly, they there wasn't anybody there. there. So it was just in her peripheral vision. That's um, weird. Yeah. And that's the one that freaks my fourth sister out a lot, the idea that that Yeah, that is really strange. There is another stretch of road where there's a ghost that flings itself at cars and has actually been known to attach to the side of the car. Which oh, doesn't hell sound no. like a <laughs> <laughs> busting lot of fun to go through. I mean, I ride a motorbike as well. So do drive I. drive a car. <laughs> I'm always slightly terrified that one might get on the back of the motorbike. Yeah, yeah and grab you around the waist so they can hold on. Be like, oh my god! It would be, it would just be horrendous, wouldn't it? I mean, I'm sure you've heard of the hairy hands on Dartmoor <laughs> that grab onto cars' steering wheels, and I, I always have this sort of slight shudder that that might happen if I'm out on the motorbike late at night. Well, I ride a motorbike too, and I've never thought about that before. So. Thank you. And now you're going to think about it every time you're out on the bike. And I'll yeah. tell you the ones to really watch out for is if you're driving along on one of those summer's evening on the bike and it's that mist that hangs at sort of body height. So it's mm. not sitting on the ground yeah, and it's yeah, not yeah. above you. It's, at, you know, when you drive through patches of it. And I always think that looks really spooky. I don't want to ride the bike through that. Off topic a little. What bike have you got? Suzuki GSX 1400. Ooh, nice. So you're a bit of a you're a bit of a speed demon then, are you? Bit, bit of a speed freak. Yeah. Ah, right. Freak I've... is better, let's not use demon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Freak is better. Yeah. I've got a twelve hundred CC BMW R twelve hundred. Oh wonderful. Yeah. Oh right. Well if I'm up in the area then we'll have to go for a ride sometime. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that'd be excellent. I won't be able to keep up with you, but we'll have to go for a ride. <laughs> Yeah, you might struggle on the BM with the Suzuki, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you mind if I read a little excerpt from your book? Here, I would from love this you to read Roadmap a little excerpt. From British yeah. Coast. This is in Mitchell, which is the A30 again in Cornwall. It kind of goes on what we were just saying. One witness wrote to tell me about his own experience, but on the new A30 just as it passes the town. He, his mother and a friend were travelling home from Trillisk Hospital in early 2016 after being with his son, who'd been in an accident earlier the same day. It was late at night probably a little after midnight, but there were still other cars on the road. Suddenly they all saw a dark, human-shaped shadow drift across the carriageway in front of their car, causing his friend, who was the driver that night, to slam his brakes on hard. The shadow seemed to just drift right through the crash barrier as if it wasn't there. It passed onto the other carriageway, where the lights of another car coming towards them should have illuminated it if anything solid was there. Instead, there was nothing to be seen at all. The three of them saw the shape but could not think of a rational explanation of what they'd seen. So you've got cases in there again that aren't just lone drivers, but actually there was three people in that car who all saw the same thing. Absolutely. And that that really does, you know, from a, a point of view of corroboration, I mean, you could go down the route of saying they were all lying, but to gain what? You exactly. know, there's, there's absolutely no gain. Yes, yeah, from... not like they went home and wrote this tell-all book about something. No. You know, there was no reason to... The yeah, only thing I can think of is that maybe one of them actually saw it and the other two were like, yeah, 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 we saw it, we saw it. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, possibly. possibly. Possibly, but I must admit, it's it's absolutely amazed me. And and thank you very much to the public who've taken part in in all this research I've been doing. But when I write out about these, I mean, obviously, I get a fair few people responding very negatively and saying, you know, oh, there's no such thing as a ghost. You're wasting your time. You know, what on earth are you doing writing such a stupid book, sort of thing. So I, you know, I, I get the negative responses on social media. But then I also get an awful lot of people that will willingly share, you know, what they saw or heard. And they'll email me or or private message or whatever. And quite often there's a real sense of, oh, thank goodness somebody has asked about that stretch of road or that particular location because we didn't we haven't been able to find anybody else who's seen that and yet we've seen it and now here you are coming along and asking about it and we can't wait to tell somebody about what we saw and are really fascinated to be able to finally tell this story that's kind of been burning at the back of their minds because perhaps they're one and only encounter with the paranormal and they just have no explanation for it people poo-poo it if they try and speak to people about it and there's a sense of relief to actually be able to tell somebody and say no actually we saw something along there that's really bizarre yeah and i get quite a few people as well you know that write in and say please let me know if you come across anybody else who's seen something in the same area you know and, and occasionally i'm able to hook them up with a similar story from that area and what have you it seems to be quite helpful for people when that happens because at least you know it helps them move away from that idea of this just me going mad am i just seeing things you know no other people are encountering it well i think that as you said i think it can be quite a cathartic and in some way reassuring instance really for people to find out that actually you know they're not alone in things and they're not crazy and that you know there isn't something necessarily mentally wrong with them that these things possibly do exist in your book it has two chapters obviously chapter one being england and then chapter two containing the stories from scotland island and wales there's quite a heavy bias towards english accounts i don't know whether that was intentional or, or not or whether you just have more stories from that area well it's you know it's, that's a fascinating point actually it, it certainly wasn't a deliberate bias it was a sort of forced by circumstance bias there are actually fewer tales of ghosts that haunt roads in Scotland, Ireland and Wales than there are in England. Now, I suspect that's probably because by very nature of the geography, the roads in those areas are more remote. Fewer people drive along them. So therefore, there's fewer chances of somebody actually seeing something statistically, you know, of you know X many percent of cars driving along the road sort of thing. But I think mixed in with that, So not only are there fewer stories to find, but actually one of the things I found was that social media is used very differently in different parts of the country. So it was very hard for me to find a way in to connect with enough people in Scotland, Wales and Ireland to be able to get the stories back from people because the social media I was using, they were mostly only using it to buy and sell rather than exchange information. And, you know, so there wasn't a platform for me to be able to go in and say, I'm trying to connect with people. I'm trying to find people who want to talk about ghosts. Yeah. Although I tried on, you know, as many platforms as I could, that necessarily limited the number of people who could see that I was trying to connect, if you see what I mean. So therefore, obviously, you get you know, correspondingly fewer responses. It definitely seems to be a north and south divide, yeah. both because you'll notice as well that the northern part of England is less well represented than the southern half. And again, that's more to do with the social media demographic. Yeah. That it's used differently and therefore it's more difficult for me to get hold of people to do my research. Because my research 
relies so heavily on getting real people to speak to me and real people who've had experiences. That means I need to get the word out there and get you know, people knowing that I'm trying to talk to them. And it's quite interesting. <laughs> I was, certainly wasn't expecting to come across that kind of difference in how social media is used. And of course, I, I did try hooking up with a few newspapers and so on. So, you know, a couple of newspapers in Scotland ran an article for me and so on. But people tend not to respond in the same way to that. I'm sure they, you know, probably read it and, you know, were interested or not, but they tend not to bother to pick up then a pen or, you know, their laptop and email you about it yeah whereas on social media it's very easy to leave a comment in response to something you're reading and that then gives me a way to connect with the people and also via social media it's obviously generational isn't it i mean youngsters like us obviously you know are on social media all the time you know but <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, i'll take it <laughs> yeah exactly me too <laughs> I'll, I'll take the youngsters There's a woman in her 50s <laughs> but, but you know what i mean don't you you know you, you sort of get past a, a certain generation and then they don't tend to be using social media as much so you kind of no. maybe losing some of the stories that might have been available otherwise or maybe it's just the older people go I'm not telling anybody anything. They won't believe me anyway. Mm. So, you know, the younger generation, they're all about wanting to put every little thing on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. So to them, it's normal. To somebody a little bit older than us. Yeah, communication is definitely changing. Yeah, you know, they they just don't get it. Well, interestingly, I've had quite a few stories from the older generation because what they'll tend to do is respond on you know like facebook or whatever but ask me to call them yes because they'd rather speak you mm-hmm. know with a person than type anything out yeah so quite a lot of the stories that i've got from the older generation are where i've had phone calls with the person you know and i've been able to actually speak to them and and, and sort of you know hold a little witness interview with them um you know and get their details and i've spoken to some amazing people by doing that so, you know, I'm always happy to do that as a method of communication. If somebody wants to send me their number or, you know, whatever, quite happy to speak in person with them. And curiously, the Isle of Skye, I got an absolute wealth of responses from people on the Isle of Skye. Really? So there's a really good entry for the Isle of Skye in the book because lots and lots of people engage from there. So, you know, we got a really good chat going. Yeah, there's only a couple of major roads through the Isle of Skye as well. I'm quite yeah. lucky with my job. I get to travel all around the UK and I've been to Skye a couple of times. Yeah, there's only a couple of sort of major roads that go across Skye. So I would have thought that a lot of the accounts that you were getting were probably of the same roads as well, were they? Absolutely, because uh, it's, I mean, it's quite, again, it's quite a famous haunting, if you like. It's quite a well known haunting that there's supposed to be a ghost car, you know, that drives along the A87 leading towards Portree. And it, you know, it's, it's been written up once or twice and what have you. But when I asked locally loads of people came forward for me and they remembered that you know it had been seen they remembered it had been written up several had seen it themselves or certainly had headlights following them it's, it's nearly always headlights that people see so they've either been followed by the headlights or because of the natures of the road obviously and you know you'll know in as you've been to the other sky that in a lot of time you have to pull over in passing places yes. to let oncoming yep. vehicles and what people will see is they'll see headlights coming towards them and because it's such a remote rural area, you can see car headlights for quite a distance ahead because yeah. there aren't any other lights distracting from it. So obviously in the pitch black of night with no street lights, no house lights, no town lights, yeah. car headlights show from quite a distance. So they'll see a pair of car headlights coming and they'll wait until they're close enough and then pull into a, a passing place waiting for the car to come. 
and it, it just never arrives. This is fascinating to me because on the last time that we spoke, you were telling us about the different types of hauntings. And one of the ones that you told us about was the stone tape theory. And yeah. I find this really fascinating, what we're talking about now with this ghostly car, because I always assumed prior to looking into this and doing this show that ghosts would be of living things. So you said about, you know, the ghostly horse horseshoe sound on the cobbles and all that sort of stuff and i get that because the horse was a living thing so it had an energy or an aura or whatever you want to term it as and yet here we have a car that to all intents and purposes as far as science is aware today doesn't have that same kind of energy i know it produces energy and everything but it's not living it's not a living thing and yet there's a ghost of a car how does that work well it makes you wonder whether either there is something about entities appearing however they want to. And, you know, if that's an energy that's haunting, is it haunting because its last journey was that journey? So it's recreating the journey and including recreating the car around itself and the headlights. Is it a stone tape thing where actually the landscape is remembering somehow, you know, it's it's, it's being taped that somebody's last journey, they were perhaps in a very distressed state of mind as they made that last journey in the car or is it something just completely different and it's got nothing to do with spirit or soul or you know afterlife that there's some other complete explanation about how it's possible for a car to be haunting Mm. or for it to appear like a car or is it a case of we interpret lights as car lights these days because that's what we're used to i wonder If you went back into the history, if you were able to do such a thing, and of course you can't because a lot of, particularly in very rural areas like this, there is no written history. It was all just folklore and, you know, word of mouth history. Would there be stories of strange lights on those hills from then that weren't interpreted as cars because, of course, cars didn't exist then? Torchlight, not flashlights. Yeah, yeah, torch as in flaming torches, yeah. Or would it be, you know, the lights of the fairy realm or would it be the lights of demons or, you know, whatever was prevalent in the cultural mind at that time? Is it a case of actually what there is up there is some kind of light phenomena and we're currently transcribing it in our minds as car lights because that's... Then again, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier where your mind will try to find something a reason for to, it yeah. to explain it or you could see it and go oh yeah they look like car lights because that's like you said that's what you're that's used your to seeing point of reference. it's your perception that it's car lights when you think about yeah. it we're, we're talking about here an inanimate object let's go back to the fact that this car is a ghost okay that's an inanimate object a non not inanimate because obviously it moves but a non-living object that has potentially come back when we think about it so are clothes because we see these ghosts wearing clothes, and those clothes are not living things. So, you know, maybe it is possible for things that weren't ever living to to be back accompanied with, maybe like you said, Ruth, maybe the entity itself is giving the energy to the non-ever-living object like to, to object. bring back. Yeah, to, to bring it back with them. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'd be happy to see buck-ass naked ghosts all the time, but we don't, we see them in clothes. <laughs> Women ones, not right. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> got to be clear about I, that one. I, I, I think I prefer my ghost clothed in the, on the whole. To be <laughs> oh, it depends, doesn't it? It depends. Yeah, it depends on what the ghost is, though, doesn't it? 
I mean, well, that's true. I mean, if you know, if Jake Gyllenhaal decides to come back as a ghost and wants to wander around unclothed, that's just fine by me. <laughs> okay, somehow we've been diverted. <laughs> no, but the, the, it's, it stands, doesn't it? The idea that the clothes didn't have a soul but they're carried along with just like you were saying Ruth about the car has been carried along with the entity the entity's brought that back to be able to recount or relive that you know maybe aid it by some kind of stone tape theory maybe that's given the energy to it as well thing is you just don't know do you no but it's there interesting is just to talk no about. way to know the other thing is our ghosts sort of like we were on another show talking about how things bleed through a little bit from you know, dimensions, you know, maybe it is something leaving that imprint and bleeding through a little bit. And like... maybe it's not even dimensions, maybe it's time. Yeah. yeah. Because, I, I mean, one of the accounts, you know, in, in the Roadmap of British Ghosts does make me wonder whether that was actually a time slip type event rather than a, you know, a, a strict haunting or, or or such like. And that, you know, that was a particular couple who were driving back. It was in Chilgrove in Sussex on the B2141 and her husband plays in a band so obviously they're quite often coming home very late at night after he's played a gig so this particular night it was at least close to midnight if not slightly afterwards and they were driving home along this back road sort of heading back to where they live when they came across a road traffic accident police cars ambulance fire service all in attendance flashing blue lights passengers from the crash car walking about looking a bit dazed talking to the policeman and they couldn't get through so you know they had to pull up in their car and kind of wait so they were expecting to be sort of given instructions or waved through after a few minutes but were just completely ignored Mm. so eventually they wound the car window down and asked one of the policemen if they could pass but he didn't answer them he just carried on with what he was doing like he wasn't even there like yeah like he just unaware of them so after a few more minutes they just gave up and turned the car around and just found another way home and they were sort of talking about oh that was really odd why wouldn't why wouldn't they talk to us why wouldn't they tell us whether it was okay to go through or not and it was only then as they were driving along talking about how odd it was that the, the policeman wouldn't talk to them and nobody would you know tell them whether it was okay to pass or not that they realized that actually when they wound the car window down the entire scene was in complete silence. Oh, wow. Ah. There was no sound at all of with all these people stood around, apparently, you know, after an accident, fire engines running, ambulance, police. I mean, if nothing else, you'd have heard them chatting and the sounds of the strobe lights. They make noise, they were. But it was in complete silence. So they ended up thinking we're not actually sure what we saw was real now. And to this day, they haven't got an explanation as to what happened that night. And that makes you wonder... Did they actually come across a time slip for mm. a few seconds? That if, is you know, weird. Either a past accident or a future accident, who knows? Yeah, it was obviously, if it was modern day, you know, with police officers and everything, they obviously didn't notice anything like the police officers wearing old uniforms or, or older, cars or, older or... cars or anything. So if it was some kind of time thing, it was obviously a, quite a close, I suppose, yeah. in time close to what in they were. Time, yeah, with it, you yeah. Know, within a decade either side sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Because otherwise, like you say, you would notice either futuristic-looking cars or out-of-date-looking cars and clothing, wouldn't you? Yeah. So, you know, kind of a decade either side of where you are in this modern age, you wouldn't really notice any particular difference, would you, unless you looked really closely. So this is your third book on ghosts. You've done, as we mentioned earlier, The Almanac of British Ghosts, The Ghosts of Marston Vale, and now The Roadmap of British Ghosts. I note that on the back of this book, it states that you've a fascination not only with ghosts, but anything supernatural. Do you have any plans to cover any other subjects other than ghosts? And if so, what? Well, it 
by default, <laughs> some of the accounts are things that aren't strictly ghosts, simply because people, you know, are, are writing to me with their, well, I had something strange along there. Mm. And certainly one of the accounts in the book was somebody who encountered that I mean, it's supposed to be down a road that's haunted by a black monk. But what they actually saw was some kind of weird humanoid creature that, you know, they have no reference point for whatsoever. It's not like anything living that we're aware of by default i end up writing about things that aren't strictly speaking ghosts and i think that that's likely to carry forward in certainly in the next book insofar as it's more about people's experiences in locations so i always start with the premise of i've, I've got this account in this location has anybody else had anything happen there mm. and i wouldn't restrict what they wrote to me about so whether it was a ghost they wrote back about or any other sort of paranormal phenomena i'd quite happily take it because it's in the same area so it's for me it's about well here's the location guys are strange things happening there let's write about them because certainly i mean for example near me here uh, where i live and, and it, it appears in the, the book ghosts of marston vale we've got quite an ancient bit of woodland called the thrift mm. and there are some absolutely fascinating encounters that come out of that some of which are you know what you'd think of as ghosts but a lot of it well you could get into ufo or big cat sightings or i mean i had an experience in there that quite honestly i've no idea what it was i think it might have been a troop of gibbons coming at me except of course obviously there isn't such a thing in the english countryside so and just recently there's been a whole thread on the the village facebook because a local photographer took a photograph in there that's got something weird in the background so there's been a lot of speculation about what that might have been so it seems to be that that woodland has a lot of phenomena attached to it it's a very ancient piece of land. It's a very ancient piece of woodland. And it makes you wonder, is it something to do about the location that's mm. pulling in all kinds of phenomena? And does that mean that the phenomena are interrelated in some way? Or is it because there's something about the area that allows phenomena to happen? And this is where you get back into the whole, you know, do ley lines exist? Are there certain, you know, areas of power, areas with, you know, certain auras about them or what have you is there something about that and even going into you know when you start to look back on you know religious history there were always you know sites that were revered in you know ancient british times and then when christianity came along it built a lot of its churches on these same pagan sites in order to you know take the, the, the focus of the populace into the christianity world and yet the site was always what was the source of power, not necessarily which, which religion was using it at the time. Yeah. If you see what I mean. So, I mean, there's a, there's an abandoned church near here that has a natural spring welling out from underneath it. It's fascinating to go and look at it. It's still running today. The church is nothing but a pile of old ruins, but there's still that spring. The there. spring wells up underneath it, and it, you know they've at some point in history, probably looking at it about 1700s, they built you know a sort of stone effigy type thing around it for it to well up through. And it just makes you think, well, that's has that always been seen as a source of power and, yeah, yeah. and you know, to be revered in some way. And it doesn't really matter which religion it is. It's, it's the spot that's important. There are a lot of places that are like that, though, aren't they? And all of a sudden, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, one thing happens there and then, you know, there'll be some... Really, or something all all kicking yeah, like in. Yeah, and... Grand Canyon. You know, how many people 
have been to the Grand Canyon maybe and then seen people falling that's been there for thousands and thousands and whatever millions of years, This the Grand Canyon in the States. But what's yeah. happened there in all that time, you know, what was there before yeah. the canyon opened up or whatever, you know, what was there? If you get to the very, very bottom of the Grand Canyon, can you find like dinosaur bones or you just don't know what was there to begin with? Yeah. And the trouble is, the more you delve into these subjects, the bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger they get. Don't Why they? are there no ghosts <laughs> of dinosaurs talking about that? Well, I don't know. But I I'm... have been asked that. Have you? I have been asked why are there no ghosts of dinosaurs, and my answer to that is always Loch Ness monster. Mm, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, could be. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. How do you know that isn't a ghost of a dinosaur? Well, we don't, do we? We don't. We should have asked Andy McGrath that when exactly. we when we'll we did our. Exactly. We'll have to call him up now. Yeah, we will. So <laughs> we we spoke a little bit earlier about demographics when we were talking about the social media. Do you think that there's a certain type of person when you looked at the stories that you were getting? Did did it follow that it was a certain type of person that was given it? Was it always, I don't know, housewives or young men or? Oh, heck no, is the answer to that. <laughs> Very simple. Oh, heck no. <laughs> Literally. And I, you know, I quite a lot of talks and what have you. I always say people will tell you, oh, I don't believe in ghosts. Mind you, there was that one time when. And then they'll tell you about some strange thing that happened. And it might not necessarily be a ghost, but just some weird thing. And my experience of talking to people as much as I do about this subject is that almost everybody has had something at some point in their life that they can't quite explain. And the accounts I get range from youngsters right up to very elderly people from all walks of life, from all types of interest and what have you from people who are absolutely interested in this subject and actively go out you know ghost hunting and and you know researching or, or reading or whatever you know actively interested in it, to people who are just following their day-to-day routine and something peculiar happened to them and it doesn't matter whether they're male female old young what race what creed you know it seems to have no bearing whatsoever it doesn't seem to have any particular demographic that people that are interested it's just if you happen to be in the right place at the right time and you're the one it happens to so be it that's where you were and the only question is is you know are people willing to talk to other people about that afterwards and especially to you know like somebody like me that's researching yeah you get the ones in these probably in these teeny little old villages and they won't talk about anything even if the whole entire village has seen something or there's some weird history of something that happens there and you go into these places and nobody will talk we haven't released this one but we were talking to a guy recently on a on a future show that you're going to see or hear <laughs> he was actually investigating ufos and and stuff in the area and there's a certain area in in the north of the country which is being affected quite heavily by these cases and it's all happening around these certain villages and the villagers will not talk about it they're very interesting yeah they're very very sort of guarded about it so it's, it's really interesting is there any stories that you had that maybe came in after your cutoff period for when you needed to get this book done that you wish maybe you'd put in or that were included in the book she's not going to tell us she'll be like just wait for the next book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, funny enough, that is actually the premise of the next book. See, told you. <laughs> yeah. 
because there were so many people who, you know, I would I would uh, engage on social media and say, you know, I'm, I'm looking for anybody who's had an experience of a ghost down X or Y road in X or Y village town, whatever. And what I would get back would be a flurry of people saying, oh, I've heard of that. There's supposed to be a such and such. Then I'd get a few people to say, actually, I've experienced something down there. And of course, they were the ones I was pulling more detail out and, and getting the story from. But then there would also be people who would write and say, well, no, I've not seen anything down there, but I used to live in a house, you know, two miles away from there. And strange things used to happen at that house. Or I visited the church, you know, in the next street over and saw a whatever, whatever. So I had all those accounts kind of sitting there that weren't relevant for the roadmap of British ghosts. Right. But what I'm doing now is going back and picking those accounts back up and starting to research those areas. So funny enough, just 10 minutes before I, I came on air to talk to you guys I was reading a witness account that somebody's just emailed into me I was just asking about a tea shop that used to exist in Burford in Oxfordshire long since gone now but somebody had in response to my question about ghosts of the roads around Burford had mentioned this tea shop that was haunted and somebody's kindly written in and given me their description of when they worked there and and you know all about the haunting that happened when they used to work there when it used to be a tea shop so of course what I'll do now is try and find if I can find what the premise actually is being used as now and see if it's still haunted and see if I can get anybody with accounts there and that will be the fourth book will be concentrating on all these different accounts that people have given me and seeing if I can find any corroboration of other people that have seen them. Uh, that's good. It would be a shame to, as you said, these people have reached out to you and they've given you that information. Appreciate, as you said, it wasn't necessarily relevant for the roadmap, but yeah, going forward, I suppose it's like upcycling, isn't it? It's, you know, making sure that these actually get used and don't get wasted. We all want to learn about these things. I love the concept of upcycling a ghost story. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe that's the title now, Upcycled Ghost Stories. <laughs> I know you said it's affected your sister. What was your sister's name, by the way? Do you want to say that on air? Or? Yes, that's, uh, my sister is Marilyn. So. so shout out to Marilyn. <laughs> you said that obviously it's affected her, your book, in terms of she's a little bit more cautious now about getting in the car and going out at night. Has it affected you in any way? Do you know, it really has, because one of the things I learned while researching for the roadmap was these things are seen during the day during the night doesn't matter broad daylight raining hard bright sunlight doesn't matter hmm. it's utterly irrelevant what time of day or night or the conditions and what have she, you she's gonna have a phobia of going outside see because she'll be like oh i can't go there no i can't i gotta go through this road and that road and nope not gonna no no yeah. can't go down. so yes if you speak to me a year from now and i'm completely agoraphobic you'll yeah. understand why yeah but it has made me you know i used to think you could only go ghost hunting at night you know that ghost hunts happened at night whereas now what i tend to do if I'm going somewhere for other purposes, you know, I, w I work part time in a real job, you know, who <laughs> hiss. We've all got our real jobs, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, we've all got to have those. And that involves a bit of traveling. So now what I tend to do is look up where I'm going and whether there's any haunted roads where I'm going to be. Along the way. And I deliberately drive down those roads. Doesn't matter what time of day I'm going to be driving down them and see if I can half a bit of time out of my day to get a photograph or two to see whether I can happen to see something and that's great so from that perspective it's been a really positive effect but the the downside is that yes when you're driving alone at night on the way back from somewhere 
that horrible prickly feeling that there yeah. might be something on the back seat of your car and you would not believe how many times I've had to pull over and put the light on and check oh, <laughs> because the back of my neck is prickling and it's not because there's actually anything there it's just that psychosomatic winding yourself up thing because I've researched so many and written so many accounts of people you cannot go to haunted places because you will keep yourself up for days well me yes you'll be like oh my god i can't sleep i keep thinking about that it keeps going around and around in my head and do you realize i've got a reputation to uphold on here you know i know you do but it's my job to tear it down let people see the real you (laughs) i gotta say ruth that after speaking to you today the the thought of having these hands suddenly grip me around my waist when i'm on my bike it will definitely fear isn't it uh, it is totally because i i ride back and forth from work when i take it to the office when i'm actually in the office i'll ride back and forth to work through country lanes and uh, certainly in the winter months Obviously, they're pitch dark. There aren't any street lamps or anything like that. You're literally just going through these country lanes in the dark. And it is quite an eerie thing, especially on a motorbike, because even though it's quite a big bike, you've only got the one headlamp. It's only lighting up a small portion of the road. And until you turn the handlebars to go around a bend or whatever, you've still got very many dark spots which are not illuminated by that. So I've always thought, you know, what if my headlight suddenly catches on an alien or something that's just in in the woods on the right-hand side? But now you've given me a whole new fear, so appreciate it. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, and and you know your hands-free thing? If it starts talking in your head, you know you're in trouble because it's picking up on there. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. If it starts talking to you, there'll be a pee trail. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Look on the bright side. At least you're not one of my poor friends who regularly get dragged out. So what do you want to do tonight? Oh, well, come with me. I'm going to go and check out this haunted road. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My poor friends get dragged to all sorts of strange places. Goodness me. Well, listen, you've mentioned social media a couple of times, and that's the place where people can get in touch with you. So tell people where they can get in touch with you with any stories that they might have. Well, the main one is I have my author's Facebook page, which is Ruth Roper Wild. If you, well, essentially, if you Google Ruth Roper Wild, and the wild is spelt W-Y-L-D-E, it'll pick you up my author's page on Amazon, my author's page on Facebook my Twitter page, my Pinterest page, and I'm quite happy for you to contact me on any or all of the above is absolutely fine. And if you go to my Facebook authors page, it has a button to click to email me or you can PM me so you can get hold of me in any of those ways you like. Excellent. And the book again is The Roadmap of British Ghosts. Pick that up at Amazon and all your favourite bookstores, yeah? Yeah, it's available on Amazon as uh, as are all my books as either paper book or ebook or if you're lucky enough to have a Kindle Unlimited subscription, you can read it for free. Excellent. Which is even better. Excellent, yeah. <laughs> this really is a good guide to get. I mean, your almanac was really good as well because that sort of gave people an idea of where they could go and see things as well. So does the roadmap of British ghosts. I think it's definitely something that should be in every paranormal investigator's sort of toolbox to give you know them an idea of So of they can drag their friends can... along exactly. when they're bored. <laughs> well, to be honest, there's a lot worse things that people can be doing with their time these days than actually going and and actually sitting somewhere quiet and investigating i'm totally up for that you know i don't necessarily want people stopping on the sides of roads for this you know you've got to make sure wherever you are you're safe but definitely you've got here a fantastic resource that actually shows you where to go to find these entities 
Ruth, as always, you've been a fantastic guest. We really do appreciate you spending the time with us. It's been lovely to talk to you guys again. Always like to come and talk to you. Well, remember, bear us in mind for your next one. Certainly. You're always welcome on here. Yeah, have a, have a good night. It was really great. Great to talk to you guys. Take care. Thank you. Bye. 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 Well, there you go. Now you have been in a very unsuccessful movie, but now maybe you're in a really successful book. You're moving up in the world. You had to you had to mention the unsuccessful movie, didn't you? Well, you know. Thank you very much. It is in the credits. If anybody's interested, uh, just go on IMDb and look him up. He's there. <laughs> yeah, okay. The best not to, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm in the whole credits of the movie. That's it. Right at the start. And I get killed. Yeah, brilliant. Ruth Roper Wilde is always an amazing guest. Uh, she always uh, tells a good story, doesn't she? She does. Definitely. If you want to catch up with any more information about Ruth, you can go to our website, which is www.weirdwackywonderful.co.uk, where we've got links to all of her books and all of her social media. On the website, you can also listen to all of our shows, should you wish to do so, and get in touch with us via the contact page. Until next time, please do stay... Weird, weird, wacky, wacky and and wonderful. wonderful. Bye!